Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Tamp, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA national writer at The Athletic here with Fred Katz, Anthony Slater, usual suspects. It is early July. Fourth of July is tomorrow, gentlemen, and that means that we got stars on the move. We got free agents getting picked up for Buku Bucks. Um, There's a lot to get into, but this is phase two of the off-season pod program, meaning that like we've got a lot to unpack, guys. Uh, we got we got players that probably never dreamed of making you know ten plus million dollars a year now making twenty plus million. We got calf spikes. We got Houston Rockets throwing cash around. Uh, what direction are we going today? As you sat here going through these last couple of days, we got Damian Lillard chaos, James Harden chaos, the league being the league like it always tends to be. What is your number one item? Mr. Katz. Well, our our wonderful producer, you 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 aptly often refer to him, Sam, as our super producer, because producer doesn't properly capture exactly what Andrew Schlecht is, but but Andrew sent It sounds like he took a trip to Balco or something. That he's super uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, Andrew put together a yeah, very timely. Very timely. Uh but Andrew put together a a wonderful uh little format for us today where we're going to kind of be going through best signing, worst signing, under the radar stuff, all of that, because free agency is not over. If it's over, then someone forgot to tell Tory Craig that it's over. But we, <laughs> a lot of the significant free agent stuff has happened, bar, barring, of course, a Dame trade or a Harden trade or that kind of stuff. But most most of the big time free agents, most of even the, the medium time free agents are off the board. The teams that had cap space for the most part. Don't have it now, um, so we're kind of at a point where we can be we can be talking about this stuff. Should we just start well, with well, best best? We're signing? going to, but let before me, you let me hold start. on, hold on, hold on. I'm jumping. I was gonna in, I, no, no, no. I was I'm gonna teasing, do what baby. I think you're gonna do. We're I'm saying teasing. the thing I'm looking forward to most or <laughs> is the meet and greet, the NBA Summer League meet and greet. Sam Amick will be there. Everyone, come meet Sam Amick. Uh, you go ahead. You could you could tease the full thing. No, you want, man. You push me back. You want? Don't don't throw right. it my uh, way MG, now. At the MGM Sportsbook at MGM Grand, Saturday, July eighth, four p.m. Pacific. I assume we got a lot of listeners going to summer league, right? Everybody goes to summer league at this point. So, uh, come on out there. I mean, I'm assuming Andrew. It's not just you're you're not just meeting the tampering host. You're meeting pretty much anybody involved in the athletic NBA show. We'll be out there shaking hands and. You know, we got the No maybe, Dunks crew. No Dunks okay, crew going to no be Dunks there. No Dunks crew also. There you go. Bet MGM Sportsbook at MGM Grand, 4 p.m. Saturday, July 8th. Meet and greet. 
Come see us. Come see Slater boss me around on my own pod. Damn, that was that was impressive, Slater. I like that. I just needed to make sure it was done, and I was ready for <laughs> for the transition because you had let it leak too far already. I did. It's, you know why? Because I got I got domestic life tugging at me this morning. But we're we're back in this NBA world. Um, cats, you you broke down the categories, but you're going to lead the way when it comes to the conversation. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to lead the the witness here by saying any specific storylines, but just so just tell me, get us going somewhere. What which one made your eyes pop out and made you kind of shake your head? I mean, should we just let's just start with the positive? Why start on a negative no, note? Should fine. we just start with our best with our best signing? Yes, sir. What we think was the best signing? Um, there were a few that I considered here. It kind of came down to Eric Gordon for me, though. Wow. I mean, the Suns, the Suns had the Suns have fewer tools than any team in the history of the NBA has had in free agency, right? Not necessarily I, true. I'll break that down for you in a second, but keep going. Please do. What a I tease. Uh, that's, a great, that's a great tease. Uh, just because this is their the first second apron team in the history of the league, and these are these are more extreme restrictions than have ever been on, on teams in terms of what they can go after with free agents. And all they could do was re-sign their own guys and and bring in minimums. And I liked a lot of the minimum guys they brought in. Like I thought I thought Metu was a nice signing. I thought Watanabe was a nice signing. But but I mean, look, they they need a fifth best player. We all know they need a fifth best player. Eric Gordon is still a good player. Like he can still shoot, he can still do stuff off the dribble. He is still a fire hydrant defensively. Like he's not super duper quick or anything like that, but he is difficult to back down. He's strong. He'll go hard for you. And to me, the number one thing that really stood out is after 10 years of hearing how badly Eric Gordon wants to play for the Phoenix Suns, after after offer sheets signed with Phoenix and matched by New Orleans and and rumors for a decade, Eric Gordon is finally with the Phoenix Suns. And and I thought that was just like that was a better signing than any I could have possibly imagined them getting for their for their fifth best player for a minimum. So and that 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 that's a great move for them. The Warriors were hard after Eric Gordon. Um, and, you know, I wrote about it today, kind of detailed it. And, and I'm wrapping back to the point I just made of the Suns actually finding a way to, in some ways, win a bidding war. Um, have you guys noticed what the Suns are doing with all of their vet minimums? They're they're not one-year vet minimums. Every, like, pretty much every single one of them is a two-year veteran minimum with a player option on the second year. Uh, which, you know, some of those player options might get picked up if the guy has a bad year. You know, they'll... In Eric Gordon's case, he'll probably play well and decline it and go back into the market. So he doesn't need it that bad, but they're they're offering it just you know for for some level of security to one up. For example, in the Gordon case, the Warriors who who were right in the mix till the end really wanted Eric Gordon, but will not offer a second year of a vet minimum with a player option for two reasons. Number one, you just you know don't necessarily want to have somebody on your books you know past this season, but also it completely changes the the tax money where. Uh, if you get an Eric Gordon on a one-year vet minimum deal, as the Warriors offered, the league subsidizes half of that contract, so half of that tax money is wiped away. Um, whereas if you do a multi-year deal, which the Suns are doing on all their guys, it all counts. And for the Warriors, that's the difference between $7 million in tax for every veteran minimum free agent. Uh, and this is just an example of Matt Ishbia coming in and like going full Steve Ballmer, whatever you want to talk about it. You know, We're talking about blowing past the second tax apron he's using every financial uh you know tool he can to one up people in these bidding wars and that includes the fact that he's just like spiking his tax 
to and you might say unnecessary degrees by you know giving all of these guys Damian Lee, Kata Bates Diop, Drew Eubanks, Yuta Watanabe, uh, Eric Gordon. They're paying double tax than they necessarily have to just because it's like, hey, let's just give them a second year player option just so they definitely come to us. And it's working. Yeah, the other the other thing that I think is interesting too, when you mentioned like Ishbia going full Balmer. Something I thought that was that was notable with Gordon, if we talk about just like the most interesting free agency process. So the Clippers had a $20, $20 million salary on Gordon that they could have guaranteed if they chose to. That would have led to like $100 million in payments for Eric Gordon. Million. Yeah, yeah, $110 million because of the luxury tax payments. I mean, that is a ridiculous amount of money to pay for Eric Gordon. 29 other teams are in the tax, and it's an absolute surefire, no-brainer that that Eric Gordon is getting waived so you get his contract off the books and you save 110 million dollars. This is not a criticism of the Clippers doing that. I just I I just thought it was kind of interesting that we saw kind of there is actually a line with Steve Ballmer. There is a number that he's like, "Okay, we're we're not going to keep Eric Gordon, who's a good helpful player who can help the Clippers win for $20 million. Like we're not going to do that. And by the way, who could be 20 million non expiring and help facilitate like a James Harden trade or something to a play to a GM like Daryl Morey, who has shown that he likes acquiring his former players. Uh, You know, I just, it's not a criticism at all. It was totally fine move. I just, just kind of made me raise an eyebrow be like, okay, there, there is a line. Like there is a place where Bomber is not willing to go. Fred, do you feel like that is entirely crystallized? Meaning that was certainly the coverage and the conversation in the immediate aftermath of the Clippers doing that. I have since tried to get clarity on, I think there's probably a gray area there. Of course, the savings was a massive factor. But the Harden component that you mentioned, um, I, I do feel like came into play where they, you know, if they could hit the button right now and bring James to town, they would. He obviously would be on the last year of his deal, $35.6 million. Uh, but with all intentions at that point of adding another massive contract next summer and having a Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, James Harden trio, because in case anybody didn't know, like this this Clippers pursuit uh, is not supposed to include you know any of the two stars going out. I think to me, like as far as the way the math breaks down, that was part of it too. Like you're going to try to go do a three star thing, which with this CBA you are not supposed to be allowed to do anymore, um, and that certainly means you're not, you know, you're not uh, holding on to that Gordon contract. Yeah, I mean it could be, but but you know if you want to make an enticing offer to Philadelphia, I think that like Gordon and Marcus Morris, both of whom are expiring, and the money would totally work for Philadelphia. I think you could argue that Philadelphia. I mean, Norm Powell's got to be in it, though. I mean, he's he's Nick Nurse loves Norm Powell, and now we're going down the Harden road a little bit. But like that, that I think is where some of the around the Clippers. I think what some of the frustration is like they they feel like they have a decent package to give to Philly. Of course, Daryl Moore is going to take his time. Um, I feel like they might have felt confident enough with the assets remaining post Eric Gordon to get it done in Philly. We'll see if they can. Sam, but can I? I mean, it comes down. Yes, later. Can I can I just respond to Sam really quick? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. It it comes down to what Philly's priorities are. Cause because I agree Norm Powell is a better player than Eric Gordon. And Norm Powell actually had a great year last year for the Clippers, but he's got an extra year. So does Philly want to go into does Philly want to say we still want to try to be as competitive as possible in 23, 24, 
And then the summer of 24, go into that summer with as much money coming off the books as possible and try to have, you know, a max slot plus a lot more. Or do you want to risk having Norm Powell pick up that player option for 24, 25 and eat 20 ish million into your space where I don't think that's like a bad deal for Norm Powell. He's a, he's a, he's a really good player coming off a really good year and he's still in his prime. It just comes down to what Philadelphia's priorities are. And if they prefer, you know, more, more flexibility with the contracts or just the better player today. Yeah, Sam, I just wanted to kind of within this conversation ask you because I I already am kind of like smelling the fear from the Philadelphia faithful that it's going to be Ben Simmons 2.0. And you mentioned Daryl Morey will take his time. But, you know, the concern, hey, is he going to take his time all the way deep into the season camp? There's all this awkwardness. James Harden is obviously very different than Ben Simmons, particularly within his relationship with Daryl Morey historically. Um, you could have a pulse on this situation. Like, do you think it could go to the point where it drags into camp and like how would Harden respond if they haven't traded him and just those dynamics? Uh, yeah, I think it could. And I think, you know, when James made his choice, he, you know, he knows better than anybody in the NBA who he's dealing with and Daryl Morey. And there was, a concern, I think, that Daryl would take his time. Now, on the Philly side, you know, I think there was a, a kind of a sobering element to where, like, Daryl conversely knows James as well as anybody and knows that the idea of a discontented James Harden is, I think the way I wrote it was, you know, unpleasant at best and untenable at worst. And the irony here, and I, I've told this story a couple times now in conversations, like, the irony is pretty rich. When you talk about, you know, the way that Daryl and the Sixers went after James when he was in Brooklyn, part of their perceived leverage against the Nets was that the idea that like that James, once he was done in Brooklyn, um, that that the Nets knew and the Sixers, I think, were kind of sending this message their way, like, trust us, you you don't want an unhappy James Harden. It's not pretty. Um, and so that used to be the thing that they used to get James Harden in a trade. And now the question becomes, are they going to respond to that pressure or is Daryl going to just take his time? I don't know the answer there. Um, but if it did get to camp, I, that would surprise me if it got to camp. But yeah, I think like there's, there's a, I wrote the other day, James extremely upset. There's a pretty high level of acrimony at this point because of how they got here. James, I think 100% thought after sacrificing $15 million last summer that he didn't have to lose sleep over the contract that was coming his way do this you, summer. Do you know how much of that's directed at Daryl Morey or, or not? You know what I mean? Because like, like there's that's a very friendly relationship historically. No, it's like it's – yeah, it's it's all. It's, it's between those two essentially. Correct. Yeah, it's okay. not – it's not nobody's trying to tell James like, oh, this was ownership or this or that. No, it's – you know, it's – Daryl surprising people by being as cold and as calculated with James Harden um, as he has been, you know, with so many other situations in his career. And, and we know that as good as Daryl is, as you know, successful as he's been, like one of his major criticisms has been, you know, the dynamics with players and kind of, you know, EQ, if you will, and that question of like, you know, I remember in the, early in the Houston days, you would hear players frustrated that you know, they don't like being looked at as assets, as pieces, and, and just having executives look at the chessboard and not think about the human component. And, you know, James Harden, though, I think we all assumed incorrectly, you know, if anybody was going to be handled with kind of a defter touch, it would be James. And, and I don't think that's the case. We'll see. I don't know where it's going, not by any means trying to categorize 
Daryl is, is cold-blooded here, but he's he is uh, he's good at his job, and, and we'll see you know how the human component comes in. What do you guys think is the best signing? Who's going next? Sam, what do you got? I'm going to – I mean, I kind of hated your Gordon pick only because it's so easy. You know what I mean? Like, yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, it is easy. Yeah. Here's another easy one because we're talking about you know ROI, return on investment. Um, on the one hand, you have the – the Lillards of the world and the Hardens of the world, these guys who get paid massive amounts of money and then are scrutinized like crazy because of the money. The in, the inverse of that is when Russell Westbrook signs a two-year, $8 million deal with the Clippers. You kind of look at that and go, okay, like that's, I mean, like he's going to help you now. He can't, you know, hold anything over the team's head as far as he just doesn't have the power and the influence that he had a couple of years ago. So like, a lot of the rust, I know his personality is the same, but like the rust stuff that sometimes caused issues, I think is probably minimized because you're now a couple years into this new late career reality that he's got to make compromises. He's motivated because A, he wants to play and live in LA. B, I'm sure he wants to stick it to the Lakers. And then C, as I jotted here in my notes, Fred, can you believe it? I have notes. Um, <laughs> uh, Russell Westbrook, to this point in his career, according to Spotrack, Keith Smith does a great job over there, uh, has made $336 million. So, you know, you kind of look at it and say, Russ has got plenty of cash. Uh, but yeah, to get him two years, $8 million, uh, with the Harden thing looming without, you know, kind of clarity on what will happen there, I thought was a, a nice pickup. I think it's how, a good one. He yeah. was good for them last year. How crazy is it just how sports work? And it's understandable, but just the fact that we know all these guys' salary numbers and and like it matters so much reputationally. Last year, because of what Russell Westbrook's contract was, I mean, it was just entirely different, you know, conversation we're having. Whereas now, because of the money he's stepping into, literally 10 times more last year, 47 yeah. million. But it's like he is the same human. He is the same player, and it's just, right. but you know how that just shifts. I mean, it, it does. can I add another quick one before we I think escalate to the higher profile stuff here? Uh, well, I'll go next, but yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm gonna just addendum another. This is not necessarily like an impact pickup. I just thought again, just kind of life wise and, and career wise, and these players who we sometimes forget how incredibly hard it is to simply stay employed in the NBA. Like it is the best of the best. Uh, I think we lose sight of that. Uh, Dante Exum signing with Dallas, uh, I thought was fascinating. You know, you got a, a number five pick in 2014 and a guy who's been through a lot, had all kinds of injuries. So, you know, he, he his NBA career comes to an early, seemingly an end. Then he's playing in Barcelona, uh, partisan Belgrade. They won a championship last year. He averages 13, two and two. I always remember Dante as a guy that, that, uh, that allegedly Kobe Bryant wanted on the Lakers. They, they shared an agent uh, at the time, Rob Palenka, now the Lakers GM. Like Dante was a big time name. You're talking the top five pick. Um, and then he's out and now he's back in. And and all, through all of that, guys, like all these ups and downs, he's 27 years old, which just when I looked that up, just blew me away. Like this league is rough, but, you know, Dante's back. And, and for his sake, hopefully he can do something. Yeah, I agree. Um it's, it's, All right, it's, bigger like, name Slater. What uh, what jumped out at you? So I'm gonna I'm almost just gonna do a category. Um, I think it's the retaining of key pieces across the league. But you know, Milwaukee would be the biggest. You know, we're 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 talking about moves that can impact the championship race. Well, Milwaukee getting Chris Middleton back, getting Brooke Lopez back, keeps them as 
you know, maybe not the favorite in the East, but right up there, you know, a top three type title contender. Uh, the team I cover, the Warriors, getting Draymond Green back on what they felt was a reasonable deal, you know, chops their tax bill. That's very important. Uh, and then, you know, like Austin Reeves going back to the Lakers and not the Lakers not having to go full, you know, what, four years, 98 million, whatever it would have been. Like them getting him at. God, four, that's a good deal, right? I mean, I know yeah. I picked other ones, but about 14 million a year for Austin yeah. Reeves. People thought he'd be in the 20s potentially. Well, that's the thing. I think they just suppressed the market so much by getting it out there like we're we're matching we're matching we're matching we're matching that i just think a lot of teams were like what's the use you know what i mean like the spurs whoever you know there were teams with that i think he would have fit but they're just like look he's not gonna actually be on our team why waste our time right now the lakers i mean how about i know cats will find me with the lakers swear jar but how about the lakers trade deadline followed by the lakers offseason also by the way kind of under the radar not under the radar but not talked about enough Weathering the LeBron James storm where he decides to say he might retire and everybody kind of knew that it was, it seemed to be some sort of, you know, I call it a leverage player, you know, like going into the offseason, like LeBron wants his voice. He wants to know what the roster looks like. And basically he's telling you like, I'll decide what I think later. That's how I interpreted what happened there. But Jeannie Buss, Rob Palenka, that whole group kind of stay on that track the Bus Brothers, you know, Joey and Jesse do a nice job there. Um, obviously, Kurt Ram is part of that group as well. And they they retain and, and really add, you know what I mean? Like, this is a strong team that I think I saw the other day between late regular season and then deep into the playoffs. Um, I don't want to get the number wrong, but they were winning at like an 80% clip, you know, for a healthy amount of time. It was a good team and one that obviously got swept by Denver, but it was, you know, one of those like more competitive sweeps that's a terrible way of complimenting them but like they were those were all four were games you know i do i like the idea of them growing on that and having the group together longer this is the best option they had this is better than than star chasing sam you you just led us perfectly because i'm going to transition us to the next category if that's okay because the next the next one that we were going to do or at least one on the list was best under the radar signing and you're talking about under the radar and my best under the radar signing i i love the gabe vincent signing Sure. For for the Lakers. I I think he's just perfect for them. Obviously, the playoff experience, he just had a fantastic run with Miami. Maybe I'm playing fast and loose with under the radar, considering it's a guy who just went to the finals and then signed with the Lakers. But like Gabe Vincent for basically the mid-level, like they need an extra ball handler. He's he's tough defensively, he fights really hard. I know he's 27 already. I I feel like there's more in there for he him. He didn't have uh, that good of a season. He, like he didn't shoot season. great. He didn't shoot great from three. He had a great good playoffs. I would just say on that one, uh, I'm not necessarily like I think he, he's going to fit and like you know he, especially if he shoots the three, that's good with LeBron. But better or worse than Dennis Schroeder because like Dennis Schroeder was key for them. Like he was very good uh, at key moments of that playoffs and like that's basically. I mean, first they, of they, all, they, he comes in about three million a year less. Than Dennis ended up getting in Toronto. Um, Is that right? Let me look at. Uh, yeah, we can confirm. Yeah, he got three for he got three for thirty three and three Schroeder for thirty. Got, so eleven for Schroeder got twenty six for two. Yeah, okay. so two million a year less. Same ballpark. Um, same. I mean, I hear you, but in this apron world they live in, like apron it, it, world, you're yes. correct. Uh, it all matters. And then, I mean, listen, whether it was Dennis or Gabe, this doesn't matter. What I also love about the Lakers offseason is you hold on to D'Angelo Russell on 
a moderate contract, but you have that other point guard around to just essentially support the the weaknesses that come with his game and also just to, to let him know, like, yes, you're a big part of what we're doing, but this is not, you know, I think for a minute there in the playoffs, like D'Angelo started carrying himself like, you know, he was the third guy in the big three, and that's not what this is. Um, they have depth, they have optionality, they have different skill sets, and they have a guy in Gabe who is going to be hungry because he's got, you know, such an underdog story. I mean, it's undrafted and guy who came up through the Heat program and who was playing in the G League not too long ago. So I like that in terms of locker room dynamics and rotation stuff. I, I like that uh, that kind of compliment. What What do we think about the Heat just kind of letting him and Max Struess get away? It was big money, Struess particularly going to Cleveland, which is another deal. But it seemed like the reports out of Miami were – you know, like they probably, if they had gotten to that number, they probably could have retained Gabe Vincent, but it was almost like, eh, let him go. Well, I think first of all, first, I think we need to see exactly what the Struce sign and trade is going to look like. And, and second, I think Miami wanted to get under that second apron because let's, let's be real. Their off season's not over. Uh, we, I think we have to look at this as all a process leading up to what might be a very, very, very large. By the way, there. should should we take a big chunk of the next, you know, whatever, 10, 15 minutes and pivot to that? Because that seems like a decent segue, Sam Amick. This is right up your alley. The Miami Heat offseason. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those times, I, you know, we all wish we could be a fly on the wall of certain boardrooms. Um, I would love to be eavesdropping on Pat Riley and Andy Ellisberg. And, and, you know, their whole group, Adam Simon, um, because it feels and looks like they are confident that Dame is coming their way. When I saw them say goodbye to their backcourt, you know, again, major financial reasons for that to happen. But also, you know, it, it just felt like, all right, we're going to be fine because we'll have Dame here with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. But that remains to be the, you know, the to be seen. Um, Joe Cronin, the Blazers GM, um, I, you know, I'm not this. We got a few more days before this opinion gets kind of crystallized for me. But for me right now, it is leaning quickly towards, I think, Joe likely making a mistake of pushing this in terms of fielding every single offer, acting as if, uh, you know, I'll send this guy to Siberia if it's what's best for the Blazers. I do not think that is the way to go, given the way the relationship has been between, between Damian and the Blazers you know, for his entire career. But so far, Blazers are definitely signaling that they're open for business and the Miami option is simply one of a number of options out there. So, you know, Dame, it's funny, like one of you mentioned a little bit ago how with Austin Reeves and the Lakers, they might have suppressed this market by letting everybody know they were going to match. You're seeing some of that now with Damian and his people, like making it pretty clear, like, Okay, I know we said Miami, Philly, Brooklyn. Eh, that's not really it. It's just Miami. Um, and the message I do think in behind the scenes ways is being sent to teams that like don't come for him uh, if he doesn't want to be there. Now, I think there's a gray area there. I do actually think, and I kind of hinted at this in what I wrote the other day, that you know I do think Miami is the only place he's prepared to play for. But I, when he asked for the trade, on Saturday morning, um, my understanding is that, you know, somewhat expectedly, there was a, a flood of reaction from around the league and including not just teams trying to figure out what the situation was, but star players that we, we know this is how the league functions. Like 
players picking up the phone and calling and saying, come here, come there. And I think, you know, there's maybe a pathway to one or two other spots where, you know, maybe he would change his mind. I don't know which ones those are at this point. You know what? It's like somewhat, you know, right up Fred's alley, but reminds me slightly of Don. Remember Donovan Mitchell was Knicks, 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 Knicks. And then the Cavs somewhat came out of left field. Like, it's not like they weren't rumored. I think I remember Fred Katz early on in that process, labeling the Cavaliers as sneaky in the uh, Donovan Mitchell market. But um, Donovan Mitchell really embraced that, right? Right away, he got out there. I'm happy. I'm going to go there. I like that core. That's fine. Even while admitting, like, his preference was the Knicks. So that's the big question. Would Damian Lillard be like, I wanted Miami, but, you know, wow, this Philadelphia situation, I want to play with Embiid, whatever. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 and get started. Well, here, I'm going to keep it rolling by uh, piggybacking on super producer Schlecht, uh, who just said in well, the should, group chat here. You, yes. Yeah. So, Tori, I'm trying to pull it up because I missed it. Did Tori Craig sign? Did this happen? Yeah, Tori, Tori Craig signed with uh, Chicago. Chicago, broken by ESPN just now. Not okay, that so, interesting or uh Competitively impactful signing, considering the Bulls are right in the East play-in. So, in my opinion, we could probably skip over that. We can skip over it and listen. And you couldn't be more right. I, I do find myself in this free agency period, and you know, sorry, Bulls folks, no offense. Every time I see a Bulls signing this summer, I just shrug. Like, uh, none of none of it seems to mean anything uh, until they they're, figure out. Their core. Until Torrey Craig hits a big third quarter three in the eight and nine play-in game. They're going after defenders. Like they they brought in Tory Craig, they brought in Javon Carter. They're going after defenders. And their defense was actually surprisingly good last year. They were such a weird team last year. But yeah, they're 
What an uninspiring offseason, starting with that Vucevic extension. You guys, no you guys got a, um, you guys got a best under the radar contract, or 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 you want to switch off of it? You want to go to worst signing? I or? will pivot Sam to this one because I think I would like to talk about this their offseason with Sam. Uh, but how about Sasha Vazenkov from Greece as an under the radar signing? The uh, Kings brought him over. Yeah, the Kings brought him over on a very reasonable deal from Greece. He was the EuroLeague MVP. Uh, lefty, uh, maybe might remind you a little of Joe Ingles, can cut, can really shoot it. Very strange-looking shot, but it's something, and, and Sam might detail this, but the Kings have been very focused on, right? They've sent almost everyone that matters over to Greece. I know early in uh, their offseason, Mike Brown went over there, uh, you know, had dinner with Sasha Vizankov and, like, got to know him better and and – you know, they've been, they need wing help. They are probably the fringe level contender in the league that is thinnest on the wing. They, you know, there was talk of a Kyle Kuzma chase. It ends up they bring back Harrison Barnes. They bring Vizankov over from Greece. Um, you know, it's it's somewhat of a stable offseason, but Sam, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. It's, it's an okay one. No, Slater, I like that pick because A, I think he can help, but then B, the truth is I don't truly know. And, and one of my favorite things about this situation is the mystery involved with Sasha. Sasha can't even say his name right. That's how unknown he is. Sasha Vazenkov is that you hear EuroLeague MVP, you are instantly impressed and you should be. You see some of the clips. They look great. You know, scorer saw a clip the other day that was a Clay Thompson-esque, and I know that's a little too hyperbolic, but they had a, a special YouTube clip that talked about how he had 24 points without taking a dribble in one game. Um, and you, you know, you feel like this could be an impact player and then you kind of hit on the other stuff with the Kings. Like you also see the amount of attention and, and care that the program, the Kings organization put into trying to make this happen, that Mike Brown did go over there. Um, the front office guys did go over there. Even Matina Colcatranas, the COO went over there. Um, quick backstory. If you go back 20 ish years, uh, Matina was part of the group at the time with Jason Levian, who uh, was an agent who would go on to be an executive for the Kings and within the league, was part of a group that that you know played a part in bringing guys like Hito Turkoglu over to the Kings and Peja Stojakovic, and so it's almost a, a kind of a kind of a you know harkens back to those days. If Sasha can be that guy, but I don't know, uh, and I can't wait to see if he's really going to be an impact rotation player. You know, you hit on the contract, three years, 20 million, very reasonable. Um, but man, in terms of the hype, you know, like not only just the clips, but even Sasha at, I think, 27 years old, you know, the way that he has characterized this choice to come is it feels very much like one of those elite European players who was probably going to be content just making money over there for his whole career. But um, a year ago, his rights get traded from the Cavs to the Kings uh, and one of those deals where if he becomes a player, this trade will be one of those that you look at and go, you, man, that's crazy. Like, you know what the the Cavs traded? It was like the 49th, 49th yeah. pick. And you know who they picked? Isaiah Mobley. Evan Mobley's brother. Yeah. You know, it was just, Hey, get my Evan Mobley's brother in the program. You're right. If Vizankov comes over and he's a, you know, a, a closing wing on a West contender, that would be like, Ooh, I mean, eyeballs. the Kings even got cash in the deal, which kind of tells you all you need to know. Um, and so they take the rights. And if you go back to 2017, make sure I don't mess this up. Um, he was taken, I think, in the second round. Maybe you can confirm that for me, Slater. Um, but yeah, he, late, you know, late in the draft. Yeah. Actually, 58, I believe, is really yeah. late. 
Um, he's just one of those rights guys, one of those kind of bag of peanuts things that gets thrown into different trades, like a player that the rest of us have never heard of. And now he's going on Instagram and, and putting heartfelt messages out there about how this was the toughest decision of his life. Um, he had a virtual meeting with the Kings, uh, at the start of free agency, uh, you know, where they, they got on the computer and talked to him and, and kind of got this thing over the finish line. And then the deal was done by the next morning. So, um, this Kings off season, even locally, there's some fans that I've talked to where they, they're kind of shrugging like, okay, Barnes, which I think fans are a little mixed on after the way you played in the playoffs. Okay. Even the Sabonis extension, which I think people are nuts. Like I, I understand that it's, it's a pricey, massive... Sam. It's very pricey. Slater, did you forget what city they play ball in? Like this is what cracks me up. The They've been a G seed? League team yeah, for no, 15 years. I get it, but it's just, it's a lot. Every, but we say that uh, all right. I'm, I'm a little bit devil's advocating it here. That's not a word, but like we say that about all these deals, and then three years down the road, it's not a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like the cap has. This is a quick aside that I think we need to pound this point on the pod going forward because I spent some time last night looking at these numbers. I think we're not doing our jobs in the media of helping people understand and, and properly contextualizing the reality that. The cap, and I got to cheat and look at notes here. The cap has got, has doubled um, since Fred. You're already nodding. What year was it in the 2016? So 2015, 16, the cap was 67. Right. And then this year, it's like twice that. Well, and if you go back even farther, here's all you kind of need to know is that um, in 20 or 2005, 2006, which coincidentally is when I started jumping in and covering the league, um, it was. 49.5. So you go a decade from 2005 to 2015, a decade where it only goes up 20 million, basically from 50 to 70. And then, you know, in the past seven years, this puppy has doubled. So I don't, uh, truthfully, I don't know how to look at these contracts. I get it. Sabonis is a ton of money, but guess what? It's like if they lose Sabonis, they lose their entire plan. And Sam, not only that, but with the new CBA, well, first of all, there's going to be a massive infusion of of cash coming when the when this new TV deal hits for the league, and in this new CBA, there's a max of ten percent raises on the cap every year, and that is probably at least people around the league they anticipate basically ten percent raises on the cap every year. You can't get more than an eight percent raise on a contract year to year. So so every year in relation to the cap, if the cap is rising 10 and the contract is rising eight, you're getting a smaller and smaller percentage of, of the, cap. the cap, a smaller yeah. and smaller percentage of the max. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. Like I look at, you know, we're, we're going to talk about worst contracts at some point, right? And well, I'm sure let, someone will mention Jeremy Grant. Apologies. Yeah. I'm going to finish the, because I, we're not going to go back to the Kings, I don't think. But yeah. to piggyback on your point. The percentage thing I kind of love. I'm going to start adding percentages in, in my coverage because Slater, when the Kings signed Barnes for three years, 54, by and large, what did you see as a reaction? Like, damn, really? Harrison Barnes still getting 54? So people see that number. They thought it was too much. Um, Harrison Barnes' last contract with the Kings was four years, $85 million in 2019, right? At that time, that was 20.7% of the cap. Uh, this current contract is 12.5 percent of the cap like you Just almost cut in half level is done he's, he, at this point he's barely making above the mid level i mean we're talking about harrison barnes almost as a mid-level type guy right so. that's my point like that's a that's a pretty that's a reasonable bargain. contract 
Look at, you know, particularly a regular season bargain, which, you know, I understand that. I think some of the frustration that you feel, you know, coming about the Kings, maybe it's more like, you know, they want to make the next step. They want to, you know, win a West Finals, get to an NBA Finals. Like, that is, like, the dream for people around Sacramento or, or, you know, people around the league believe that's always should be the goal of a team. And, you know, in some ways, what Sabonis is, as, as, as you know, one of your two best players, you might have a playoff cap. And... Harrison Barnes has shown that he can kind of fade in the playoffs, but I do think sometimes we underrate what like how important regular seasons are. We saw it with what Sacramento evolved into from just a scene last year during that 82 game regular season. Like for them to just repeat last season, there might be it, it won't be as you know glory filled. Um, but it's still important to have 82 Harrison Barnes games, and it's still important to try to win 48 to 54 regular season games and try to get a 3-4-5 seed in the West. And Harrison Barnes very much helps you to that goal. Sabonis, so you know, keeping him around obviously does. So it's a little of that. The, 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 only, the counter argument, I think, to, to what we're talking about, Sam, is like you might have just put in a cap on this core that is below championship level. But, you know, did you have a path to make it above championship level? Well, but the irony there is that your word choice being cap, and the cap itself is going to continue moving, and that's going to create more opportunity. You, I mean, you've committed You've committed to Fox and Sabonis being your, like, one-two punch. So what is, what is and this is, I don't, ha, I don't sit on either side of this fence, but what is the argument? So, I mean, was it Kuzma? Was it Dylan Brooks? Like, who was it? I, I, I mean, I w- I'm fine with the Barnes thing. I mean, sure, you could say Kuzma's like a little bit higher upside next year. I'm not saying that that would vault them into like some, you know, a, elite contender necessarily. I think I'm talking more of the Sabonis signing, uh, you know, just keeping the ink dry, keeping the flexibility. Um, I just think if you go, and you and I worked on this at the time, you know this. If you go back a year ago, like before their little Cinderella story, like what was the chatter that we had? It was at least loud enough that we had to look into. The chatter was like, "Ah, oh, Sabonis okay in Sacramento? Is he like being there?" And we looked into it, and we're told going into the year he's fine. He just needed to learn about how Mike Brown was going to run the team. And but there was like this little angst that that felt very uh, predictable because it's Sacramento. Like, of course, this guy might be looking uh, elsewhere already, and we thought that might be the case. And then it wasn't, and then they had a great year. You know, if they he would have been a free agent next summer, obviously. Do you think he would have got this number in free agency? And that's the question. And I think what you're referring to almost is like the the Sacramento tax that you're paying a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I happen to like you do now as well. Live in a region where it's like they just haven't been relevant for 15 years. You cannot afford it's an absolute disaster if you have first of all not only walks for nothing if you have an entire year wondering if Sabonis is even going to be around. I don't think that would have been great for the program either. Also, I feel like we should make a delineation here. There's a difference between the Sacramento attacks when it forces you to overpay George Hill and Rajon Rondo and Zach Randolph and Vince right. Carter in like their, their elderly ages. And when it gets you to renegotiate and extend a guy who brought you to the playoffs for the first time in a decade and a half. And who, and who got votes all-star. for fifth place MVP. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like there's, don't get me wrong, it's a lot for Sabonis, but there's no world in which, realistically, there's no world in which Sabonis comes out next year and isn't really good. You know, like there's, he's still going to be really good. He's a really good player. And, and, and look, I don't know. Sometimes we get too judgmental on like, does it does it kind of hamper their path to winning a title? 
maybe. But the Kings were so bad for so long, and they weren't just good last year. They had incredible vibes, and they were fun. They had a great thing going. It's like, why? why you know, I don't blame them for not wanting to mess with it. I, sure. I don't. I don't blame them for that. I agree. It's, well, it's, they re-signed Trey Lyles. They they yeah. seemingly, I don't know if this is done, but he reported, you know, Sham Sharani had reported that Chris Duarte was coming their way, who, again, under the radar, but that's a guy who actually has had some good chemistry with Sabonis in Indiana, has played with him. Um, you know, who knows if that helps. Um, it's kind of like so, a Terrence Davis replacement. I mean, they're they're a little bit fuller in the middle of their rotation, right, with Vizankov, with Duarte potentially. Um, so that helps. Yep. We shall see. Fred, am I the only one looking at a frozen Slater here on the screen? Ah, uh, he's frozen for me too. <laughs> oh, he now he's frozen. <laughs> Slater is back. Uh, can we, we talk? Yeah, go ahead. Go well, ahead. I was going to say um, we talked about you know the free agency contracts, but since we're debating the big, big, big money, my goodness, gentlemen, some of these extensions. Um, you know, the natural segue since we talked so bonus is to talk about the guy that that he was traded for five years, $260 million for young Tyrese Halliburton with the Pacers. Um, you know, again, locals because of where I live are going to be subjective. Had a neighbor Kings fan, good old neighbor, John yesterday highlight the fact that, uh, you know, the Sabonis uh, has certainly been in more playoff games than Tyrese. Um, Tyrese is fantastic. He's, he's on his way, but like, you know, you could, you could, I mean, that's just, again, sticker shock on the number. Once you start getting into a quarter billion, yeah, I mean it's all funny money. Isn't anyway. isn't the Jalen Brown one if he signs it three hundred and seven million? Because yeah, it's of, over three. Yeah, which I'm a little <laughs> curious that that's not done. I was told not to worry about that for Jalen's sake, but I'm a little surprised that one's not done yet. It's fine, I, Sam. Sam, you're being a hypocrite right now. I know percentage I know. percentage I know. of the cap. I know. It's no different than when any other rookie who was really 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 good extended and got the same sort of contract. It's no brainer. Tyrese well, Halliburton's an all star. Also, he's also a franchise centerpiece. He's an all star. I get that. Let's go down the line. And I'm listen. I'm not being a hypocrite. I will acknowledge, Fred, that like this is what is hard about analyzing this stuff these days is because the first mental reaction that you have is sticker shock because you just see the number. That's just an ungodly amount of number. There's GDPs all over the world that are not as big as some of these contracts. So Desmond Bain, who's a fantastic ball player, you know, but. By, I mean, he he's you know he's not an all star, and he's a two hundred seven million dollar player. This is just a new reality that that we got to adjust to. Tyrese Halliburton's contract is almost four times the GDP of Tuvalu. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> look true. At, look that's at how quickly thing. you recall that. Well, GDP done. of Tuvalu is seventy million dollars, smallest GDP in the world, and Tyrese Halliburton's contract is almost four times. That's like that. Austin Reeves' money. You yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, soon that's going to be soon. You can get Tuvalu for the mid level, like five years from now when the cap goes up enough. You can I, get I Tuvalu. Know, I couldn't find Tuvalu on a map, so kudos to you on that one, Fred. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that one's a no brainer, though, right? Like Lamella Ball, five awesome. years, 260. Same thing, no brainer. Okay. No brainer. You gotta, you know, Anthony Edwards, same. Yeah, today. It's just yeah. that draft. I mean, we're talking about that draft. That's it's a good draft. Players. These are awesome young players. That, it's a good it actually draft. was not a good draft. Those are your three best players from that draft, but it is not a good draft. Right. It's a good, it's good, it's good. Those three guys. Those are three really guys. Top three. <laughs> You're right. You're right. All right, gents. I think, uh, unless you object, I would like to um, start turning toward the home stretch here with more yeah. of a big picture conversation. Well, about- Sam, are we going to reel off? 
worst signing slash most confusing signing? Yes. Gonna reel those off. Yes, go for it. I I I, I jumped too early. Is Fred? can we can we can we talk about Houston? Of course. Sure. Yeah. Fred and, Van and before Fleet. before we talk about Houston, I just I wanted to reel off a couple of a couple of honorable mentions here. Uh, for me, at least, uh, number one for most confusing, a little confused by the Reggie Jackson signing. Two years of the taxpayer uh, mid level exception. Like he I didn't, didn't love. I didn't love Denver's summer. Yeah, no. didn't, didn't well, play that, in any well, important moments for them really. And we'll I get was to it later. But I, was that number? I was going to ask. Like, did anybody? You know, I mean, Denver, like you said, Fred appears to have fallen back a, a, a modicum, if you will. And so we'll have a chat in a minute about you know who caught up on with denver but that one yeah you lose bruce brown um reggie you know i was we were around that team like reggie was was part of the program he took it like a pro when he wasn't playing but i don't know what he's gonna look like so um yeah between that and re-signing deandre jordan one other one that i'm forgetting about they um you know they didn't get better yeah yeah and then and then one more justin i'm just kind of confused by the raptors in general like, like, okay, you lose Van Vliet, you re-sign Pirtle for $80 million over four years, and then you bring in Dennis Schroeder. Your starting lineup might have less shooting in it than any starting lineup in the league now. Uh, it's, it's, just the, it's just a weird team, and I'm a little confused by what direction they're going to go into. And I think the whole league is wondering what the heck is going to happen with Siakam and what the heck is going to happen with OG Ananobi, both of whom can become free agents after this upcoming season. Uh, that's a that's a interesting one. And also, for the second consecutive year, I am so confused by what Detroit is doing with its cap space. Just don't get it. Like, for the second consecutive year, they went into the offseason with the plan of using cap space in order to take in, you know, bad money from other teams and get sweeteners for it and whatnot. Except the the draft picks that they're taking in order to take in those contracts are like nothing picks, you know? They, they take in the Joe Harris contract and they just kind of get couple of seconds for it. They, they last year, they take in the Nerlens Noel and the Alec Burks contracts and they just get a second round pick out of it. Uh, like I, I'm just, I'm just confused by Detroit. I would, I would assume just, you know, first aren't available. This is the best you can get. I'm, you know, then use like, your cap space another way. Okay. Then, then flex into something else, you know, like you're taking on last year, they took on Nerlens Noel for a second round pick. They took on Alec and, and Alec Burks, who's who's a good player on a fair contract. And they took him and they took Nolan's Noel. They lost all year. They held on to Burks, who they could have traded for like a year and a half. Well, a year and a half left on his deal. Now he's got one year left on his deal. You're probably only getting like a second back on that. They never gave Noel an opportunity to play and be good enough to maybe flip. It's just like so weird how they're handling their cap space. If you're going to use cap space to take in contracts, do it the way that like Memphis did before they got good and try to get a first out of it somehow or flex into something else. Like even what they did when they signed Jeremy Grant ended up working out fine. He was, he played up to that contract. They got a first rounder when they trade him, you know, like it's just weird what they're doing with their space. I'm, I'm confused by what the plan is with that. That's all. Sam, you're, uh, what, what confusing. Signing confusing signing. And you want to do Houston now? Yeah, let's do. I mean, we can do Houston. Uh, I don't necessarily have a, a confounding signing, uh, and I am interested in the Houston discussion. Um, you know, Slater, you are the resident expert on 
all things two timelines, which has now become a consistent talking point yes. with a lot of these teams. And Houston, you know, had a choice a, to make. An innovator. Yes. <laughs> a lot years ahead. Um, you know, Houston had a tricky choice to make here. They were going to be having an element of two timelines probably regardless when you have $60 million and then you have a bunch of young prospects and you are actually required to spend that money. Um, you're, you're not going to be able to spend that kind of money on, you know, more young players. That's just not how it works. So the choice for them became, as we've well chronicled, okay, is James Harden the guy? And, you know, like I learned recently and like I wrote, uh, it was actually a few weeks back that they made a choice not to go down the Harden road. Words certainly got back to him and played a part in his situation. But Ime Udoka being there, first-year head coach, I think would prefer to have a longer runway, would prefer to have, you know, a program that where you at least, if it's two timelines, that they are a little closer together than, you know, something like James Harden coming back or even a Kyrie Irving coming back because they they had a little bit of interest in Kyrie. So they do Van Vliet. They do Dylan Brooks. They try to do Brooke Lopez. They get two out of three. Um, I don't know where it leaves them because, honestly, like they're going to win more games. They'll be, I think, fun to watch because I do want to see what the new guys do and, and Jalen Green getting better, things of that nature. But, um, you know, are they sniffing a play-in game? I'd probably not. Um, so it, it, it's a, a weird one out there because the the only reason I thought the Harden thing might happen months ago was because Tillman Fertitta spent all of his early ownership with the Rockets, like, you know, being kind of the bell of the ball, like contending in the West every single year on a very, very high level. And it seemed like he he actually wanted to speed the program up in the kind of way to get back to that, which maybe with Harden you could have gotten closer. Um, but yeah, this is a different track and, and we'll see how it looks. Yeah, there's just not organizational patience for a rebuild. You know, you go up the road, Oklahoma City is like probably the poster child of like this really patient rebuild. I mean, they're still just like, you know, we'll take Breton's contract and like the you know, Sam Presti is not fast forwarding that process at all. Houston is, you know, they they owe a top four protected to the Thunder. They so they're kind of not obsessed with their own draft pick this year they bring udoka in as you mentioned he clearly has a lot of sway um and they're just trying to win and i also i mean i think we saw last year they were like a very just like disorganized group that like didn't have veteran leadership i think udoka was trying to solve some of that too right jeff green one year six million was kind of an awkward deal but i assume it's because everybody loves jeff green right get him in the locker room have him have conversations with guys um no, he's the, I mean, he's Brooke. the right kind of guy as far yeah. as getting an For adult sure. in the room. He's great. Yeah. And again, even, you know, even Dylan, I, I talked earlier about like, or maybe it was a different conversation, but with Udoka, I think Udoka and Dylan can connect. I actually think that that'll be a good partnership. Um, and so I, I would probably expect a very good year out of Dylan, whose contract, by the him way. on the offensive end, because I do think he, he believes he should be able to shoot more than I think an ideal team that wants to win would want. They want, hey, go be the defensive ace. I think he's like, yeah, but also take 15 shots a game. Right, but I, I, I would counter that by saying that to me, Ime in his you know one year in Boston showed that, like, I mean, he's just he's not ever uncomfortable telling players what he wants them to hear. And I think he, I do think he will tell Dylan what he expects out of him offensively. And it'll be one of those, you know, if no ifs, ands, or buts about it type of thing. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I think he can handle that component. I I hated it. 
I, what did you? I but what did you want, Fred? If you're gonna miss out, I look. I I understand that the organ when an organization gets to a point, and for those just listening, I'm using air quotes. When an organization gets to a point where they they're over they're over the tank, they're over losing. You got to be more competitive the next year. That's usually something that at the very least starts with ownership. And I understand that when it starts with ownership and you miss out on good players and and you know that the goal is you have to be more competitive in the upcoming season, then you start to worry, okay, well, if we're not competitive in the upcoming season, then what's going to happen to my job and everybody else's jobs? And I understand that people work that way. So I'm not necessarily calling out Rafael Stone here because I don't know what those inner dynamics are there, but just the organization in general. I understand that when you miss out on guys, you go out and you try to get competitive with Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. The long-term money, what would I would have liked? I would have liked them to say, well, we missed everybody. Uh, let's sign one-year deals and just go back into the market next year. Or let's try to take on some of these unwanted contracts uh, and and go back into the market next year. That's what I would have liked to have seen them do, as opposed to just throwing a four-year commitment at Dylan Brooks, when you don't know what kind of team you're going to be, and you're still trying to develop these guys. You're still trying to develop the young guys. And if Dylan Brooks does come out and does keep shooting all the time, like why would Jalen Green not say, well, then why can't I shoot? All the time. Why wouldn't? Why wouldn't you know Kevin Porter Jr. say? Well, then why can't I? This shoot is but all the time. Sam made the right point though. That's that's why they hired Ime Udoka, right? That was come somewhat of a controversial hire, but that's I assume organizationally their belief is like he will solve that problem. And I yeah, think maybe I, have not I just don't like the long term commitments to to a team that we I think we probably all agree is not even a play in team. I don't know um, Fred Van Vliet all that well, but in terms of just what you hear, what you see, mostly from a distance, you know, Fred to me is the kind of guy who's going to tell his guys what he needs, what he wants. He's a pretty tough-minded individual. You know, the Jeff Green thing, I think that's another voice in the room. You know, we'll see, though. I mean, those are extremely fair questions to raise, Fred. And, you know, if it goes the other way and if Slater and I are wrong and the right message doesn't get through and Dylan is Dylan, like the old days, then, yeah, like, and guess what? Four years. That's a long time. So, um, yeah, it was yeah. a weird, weird off season. And I even Van Vliet, like I, I, Fred Van Vliet is a very, he's a very nice player. He really is. And by all accounts, you talk to anybody in Toronto or who has ever played with him and people glow about him and they glow about his personality and his work ethic and his leadership and just everything you could possibly say. And from that perspective, I think he's great for them. And when I heard they had interest in him, you know, a long time ago, you started hearing the rumblings and you're like, okay, that makes perfect sense. Honey, would he's you the personality door, and the quality please? of player and decision maker and all that that they want. But like Fred Van Vliet also has a 50% career effective field goal percentage. He was 49 last year. 51 the year before that and 49 the year before that. Like he's not exactly a modicum of of efficiency and you're playing a max salary to him now. Uh it's just it's just a lot. Like it's just it's just a lot of money for Fred Van Vliet, for Fred Van Vliet. And I I I would have just gone short-term commitments and then gone back into the market next year with the same amount of space. Just push it down the line. Yeah. All right, guys, let's finish on this. Um, 
Because I think what you're saying there, Fred, is you, you like you said, you don't see Houston in the play-in. That's, I mean, I think Tillman Fertitta probably would not be happy to hear that. I think he probably is envisioning postseason basketball again. So I'll start in the West because the Nuggets won the title, but we can go league-wide. Just, you know, if I ask you the question, uh, big picture, who who got closer to the mountaintop, uh, you know, and, and made as much progress here or more than anybody else, who comes to mind? Because everybody's coming for Denver. We know that. Miami, obviously, two finals appearances in the last four years. Uh, but but as far as advancing in the offseason, who went the farthest? I think the Suns, uh, just, they just hit on a lot of their minimums for, for what we talked about to lead off the podcast. They, they're spending like crazy. I think the hangover that they're going to have from the early days of the Ishbia era is going to be, you know, hangover the movie type, <laughs> you know, in the middle part of this decade is their, uh, you know, Kevin Durant ages and all that and all this money and second apron and all that really starts to pile up on them. But to your question, I feel much better about Phoenix and their, entire rotation than i did the last week and i think that's my answer that's a good one i think that's probably the right one i'll 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 also say i really like what cleveland did i think i think they're putting together a really good team you know that was a team that was second in the league in net rating during the regular season last year they ended up losing to the knicks in the first round of the playoffs in in part because they just could not find that fifth guy throughout the series. You know, the Knicks were leaving whomever it was wide open in the corner. Karis LeVert had one big game in that series. They were leaving a Coro wide open. I think Max Struess is going to be a really good fit for them. I think George Niang is going to be a really good fit for them. Uh, they needed that depth. They held on to Chetty Osman. Uh, you get another year of of Mitchell and, and Garland working together. Garland improving another year. Evan Mobley improving another year. Uh, Jared Allen getting, you know, bouncing back from getting manhandled by Mitchell Robinson during the first round of the playoffs. I I, I think Cleveland's could. I said the same thing last summer, too. I think Cleveland, I think Cleveland is going to be better next year. And, and I like the moves they made. That the end contract should have been in our conversation for value contracts, you know, like about eight million a year. For a guy that is, you know, is under the radar, a, a good player. JJ Redick the other day on ESPN, this kind of cracked me up. He was somewhat shamelessly like telling executives, like, oh, by the way, like if you want the adult in the room and a guy who can still help you on the court, it's Niang. So I like that pickup. Uh, I'm going to be on brand here. We already highlighted all this stuff. I actually think it's the Lakers as far as progress. And it's mainly because you talk about this high wire act that their front office just had to execute and they didn't miss on any of the marks. You, you know, if they had to overpay on Austin Reeves, if, if the buses were willing to pay that, if, if Genie and company were willing to pay that, then great. But it would have been less palatable if there was a, you know, a, a hundred in front of his number instead of a 56 Reeves, Hachimura, Russell um, talked about Vincent earlier, you know, and I hear you Slater on maybe, you know, bringing, Schroeder back would have been the better play. We'll see. But I think this Vincent pickup got kind of good reviews. Um, they didn't, you know, they they came out with fairly team-friendly contracts on every single one and, again, went down a track that I think is probably going to pay off, at least in the form of being one of the better teams in the West. And then we'll see how health comes into play and, and we'll see how the story unfolds. But I like their offseason a lot. Yeah, I think that's that's a good one. All right, boys, I am off to – I don't know if Slater's joining me or not. I'm going to be heading out to the California Classic I here will be afternoon. joining you. I will nice. be there for the second game. You going to all three? 
I don't know. I'm not sure quite yet when I'm, it starts I at was, one, I think. Yeah, I got to look. But three, I think, something I, like that. I think three. All right. I'll be out there. You know, the league was nice enough to put a little summer league action in my backyard, so I can do that. I enjoy the California Classic myself, although we were supposed to get Wimbanyana and Brandon Miller, so that we're just getting Brandon Miller's day. That's fine. We'll be in Vegas anyway. Guys, I can't wait to see you in person out in Vegas later in a couple hours. And uh, as always, to the listeners, thank you. We'll see you next week.